Rising Star Podcast with your host, Kelly Hughes. On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Gauri All, and he's got this really intriguing video. It is called Mother Tough. It is spoken word, but much more than that. And I really want to get into just the whole state of the art of spoken word performance and, and a lot of other really creative stuff. So welcome to the show. Oh, uh, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I mean, in this day and age, it seems like the boldest thing a person could do artistically is put out a spoken word video. <laughs> well, if your singing is, let's say, at best average, uh, and you're not quite fast enough for most rappers, although I, <laughs> I do try to do a little bit of that from time to time, as well as sing a little bit, um, I think the spoken word comes and, you know, there's a whole tradition behind that. It's actually ancient, but, you know, uh, when I was a youngster, uh, there was a guy, Allen Ginsberg, a beat poet, and uh, there were others back in that era. And, uh, you know, kind of the inspiration, I guess. Have you always been a poetry writer? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I actually, when I was real, like real young, maybe 14, I, I, did, I tried to write a short story. I got several pages into it. I gave it up because, you know, others, it didn't seem to fit with the gang I was running with, which was not a very intellectual gang. So I kind of got away from it. Um, but oddly enough, even though at the time of which I speak, was, um, I was a high school dropout, but I was reading Shakespeare and gone with the wind and things like that and i so i got i just i did write a poem when i think i was um i was either 18 or maybe 19 which i still have somewhere uh, i always had that but then i i eventually did get into college and i i got into a very academic life and i kind of got away from all of that but then when i retired um i all of a sudden I start having these ideas about things. And um, one trip I was on, I'd jotted down some stuff and then I fleshed it out into a, my first song. And uh, it, ever since then, it just, it keeps coming out. I can't stop. I'm now up to, like, I think I've got 35 songs registered with ASCAP and I've got ideas for several more that I'm working on. and. Uh, it's, it's a labor of love. I just, um, uh, I just love, I love the English language and playing with words. And, um, so yeah, I guess in some sense, I've always been something of a poet though. I guess it was buried for a long time while I was writing academic papers on Alexander Hamilton or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think really spoken word, you know, is poetry. I think really rap is is, is po poetry. Uh, that's what lyrics basically are poetry, you know, set to uh, set to a tune. So, what was the first time you performed live on stage with your spoken word? Oh, not the first one I wrote, but the first one I performed. That's a darn good question. Let me think back. Well, I did two the first night. Uh, I did two, and one was uh, Everybody Knows, 
which is a challenge to conventional wisdom. It's only a couple minutes long. It is also a music video uh, on YouTube. Um, and that same night, I did one called Old Hippies. So everybody knows that Old Hippies were the first uh, ones I performed. Uh, Those late- are great titles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that. And when you performed these, was this after you retired or is this when you were still doing your main career? No, I uh, did my main, let's see, my main career. And what I did when I retired from academic life, I was a professor for many years and I had some government work in between two academic stints. And then I did a, um, I still was teaching, but I also ended up running a program of, um, and, and supervising faculty, which isn't a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, uh, even after I retired from that, I did keep it you know, on with the teaching because it was uh, I did was teaching online at that point. Uh, though of course, I had you know years of teaching in the classroom as well. I was teaching online. I kept that going. When did that stop? It stopped about. This is 23. It stopped about 10 years ago. And then um, I, um, yeah, I didn't write the first song until 2019, four years ago. See, what I was hoping is that you you would have started this while you were still teaching. And then, you know, then some of your students would have like happened upon you at some, you know, little uh, counterculture coffee shop somewhere doing spoken word and saying oh there's our professor what's he doing here yeah well at the uh, the second half of my academic career i was teaching computer information technology so i think they would have probably been shocked to find uh, somebody doing a spoken word poetry um wouldn't, wouldn't have that been cool though to as a way to bond with your students oh yeah that would have been that would have been quite something. But at, at, and at that time, I was also teaching. I was teaching some classes online, so that you don't you know you don't really see the person. You're not in person with them. They could be all over the world. You know, students all over the world. But uh, I was also teaching some uh, in in the classroom. Yeah, that would have been interesting. And we had right on campus, uh, you know, coffee shop uh, type places. Uh, well, since you're so into doing the rhymes. Were you ever doing a lecture and suddenly you started rhyming the the the, the coursework? <laughs> you know, I don't know that I did that uh, because you know when you're a professor, you're trying to you know your image. You want it to be kind of uh, at least semi-serious most of the time, um, and. So I don't really think I let that side of me um, out. And uh, of course, there, there are, you know, I've got at least two sides as anybody who's been to the website and seen the, the Sunday morning edition and the Saturday night edition knows. And I've never done an album. I don't have any, the gurus tell me you should really do one single after another. But if I ever did an album, I'm sure the title is going to be The Divided Self. The divided self. Well, is your Freudian is your work Freudian? Well, is your work uh, autobiographical? I think a, a lot of it is. Uh, it's, I would say semi-autobiographical. 
Um, you know, Mother Tough, of course, is inspired by being raised by a single mom. Um, but yeah, not I was, re- I was yeah. reading in your bio, you talk a lot about growing up, what, there were seven kids in your family? Yes, my mom uh, gave birth to seven kids. Unfortunately, um, the boy right before me died at three months. So, you know, he was not, and it's kind of funny. I don't know, funny about saying, I've never said this to anybody before, but I kind of feel like I got to get a lot out of, I got to kind of do a lot in life because that boy never really had a chance. Um, I had a couple other brothers and, you know, they had somewhat decent lives, but not, and, and, and so I just like feel like I got to really do a lot because that kid never had a chance. He just, we don't know exactly what happened. I wasn't born, of course. My sisters, that's the closest to me in age, said, oh, one morning he just said, oh, he's not breathing anymore. He's, and, you know, I don't know, it was a, you know, some kind of crib death or something, I guess. Um, oh and you were the, and you were the youngest too. I'm the youngest. Yep. The baby. So, so, and your mother, you know, worked to support you all. Is that where the mother tough comes in that, that you saw your mother as this very strong role model? Yes, absolutely. Because she was not an educated woman. Um, my father left her very shortly after I was born. And then she went through the, you know, the legal process of the divorce, which was highly unpopular. You know, I was raised in a southern Midwestern, heavily Catholic town. And uh, I don't think single moms were as common or as viewed, <laughs> probably viewed more unfavorably back in those days, especially in there, around there. So she had to live with that. Um, and I guess to some extent that rubbed off on me. And then, of course, we had to make ends meet. So, you know, she, she had a job as a, a grocery clerk and um, that was it. And um, she I just felt that, you know, to be a, probably to be any mom, you have to be kind of tough. If you're going to be certainly if you're going to be a good mom. And I think most are. But I think particularly the single mom with a lot of kids. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a tough road to hoe, put it that way. Yeah. So when you wrote the song, Mother Tough, like what memories came back? Oh, I guess the, uh, the fact that, um, you know, she was all, you know, had to go off to work, had to catch a bus, uh, or where we lived was some distance from the grocery she actually had two uh, she had her job first the one this one when i was much younger she had to take a uh, quite a bus ride she had to get out you know uh, fairly early in the day and then take that bus and um you know i didn't of course i'd go off to school so wasn't seeing her anyhow and then later uh Later, she did get a job a little closer to home. Uh, I think it was, um, you know, it was still, it was a substantial walk, but she got there. And unfortunately, talk about Mother Tough, she had a situation there where there was a robbery in that store. She was the only employee in the store at the time. Guy came in with a gun, <laughs> cleaned out, you know, all he, of course, wanted, thank God, he didn't harm my mom, although 
you know, it was traumatic for her, but, you know, she cleaned out the cash register, gave it to him, and off he went. Uh, so, yeah, those are some of the things that came back, and uh, just the general idea of, uh, you know, one parent trying to raise a bunch of kids. Oddly enough, my my sisters, the, the two younger sisters, uh, older than me, of course, but uh, they seemed to do fine. I mean, they were they were cheerleaders at the high school, you know, and uh, that's not something you get automatically. Um, you have to have a, as a little bit of skill and some looks and uh, be able to perform a little bit and, and fit in socially. Uh, but for whatever reason, I was not, <laughs> I was not like that. Um, so I think I was, uh, and my sister tells me we're still, we're very close now. I said, uh, what do they think of mother tough? They like it a lot. Um, they like it a lot. Um, the, the, she's, my, I only have one surviving sibling and that's my, uh, my sister, who's the closest, the youngest sister and the one closest to me in age. But she basically said, you know, I was quite a handful to raise. Um, and I was not a good student. Uh, I was one of the class clowns. Um, and uh, <laughs> I wasn't above playing hooky down then, you know, uh, even in elementary school. But uh, no, so it was it was tough on my mom. You know, it would have been tough anyhow, even if I was, you know, a total goody two-shoes. Well, uh, the challenge of raising such a big family, you know, on a store clerk's salary, I read on one of your uh, pages that you, ha you had no hot water in your house, but your mother at one point sounded like she saved up a lot of money so you could get hot water. Yeah, yeah. When I was eight, we didn't have any hot water. We had to carry carry a bucket of water up, put it in the bathtub. Um, and um, when I was 18, I realized, boy, this is not, you know, I had you know, I have friends over or something. This doesn't look good. <laughs> so I said, you know, I really need this here, huh? And, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a kid thinking about, I knew we didn't have much money. But um, I said, I really wanted that. And so, and the other kids were gone by now, uh, even married, most of them. Um, and somehow she must have dug into savings or something because, you know, you got to hire a plumber. There's a hot water heater itself is expensive. And then you got to hire somebody who knows what they're doing to put it together. And, but she did. Um, and I actually have a little bit of a reference to that in another song um, about a, a house where they've got no hot water running hot. Um, but that's uh, that one's called White Trash Dumb. I haven't released it yet. I've written it. Um, but yeah, so that was a, you know, that was something she did. And uh, of course, and I didn't tell her anything about going to college. Because, you know, think about, you know, when your son is a high school dropout and running with the wrong crowd and uh, can't seem to get a job, uh, you're not thinking about him that way. 
but I, I didn't, so I didn't tell her anything I was doing. I took all the exams I had to take. I passed them all and I waited until, uh, and I didn't know whether they're going to let me in or not. You know, I did pass the GED and all that. And then the thing came in, I guess I let her know I was doing the GED. And, uh, I knew about that cause my brother had done that in the, in the military. He had also had not graduated and he did it in the military. And then anyhow, and then the thing came in the mail one day from Illinois State University. You have been admitted. And so then I told her. So. <laughs> and what was her reaction when she learned you were going to college? Uh, I think it started with shock. And then joy and then some tears. You know, when you, you are a kid, you kind of know what your parents do for you, but at what point as an adult did it really hit you how much your mother had sacrificed for her children? Wow. Yeah, I guess um, somewhere along the line when she she had moved out of uh, the house that I was raised in, which was actually the second house we were, were in, but then she moved uh with a man who kind of was my unofficial stepfather eventually and she eventually married him uh anyhow they lived there then when i got i think it was it's kind of fun because i came home i I had the ph i just gotten the phd and i came home to visit and she had a big sign up about it and that just pretty emotional that day uh but in a good way um Mm So, yeah, and I guess I, I thought, you know, what, what had I been, had she been a lousy mother, <laughs> let's say, you know, had she been like drinking a lot or something, she hardly ever took a drink, you know, uh, she did like her desserts, uh, you know, but that was her, her main vice, um, but, um, you know, she, um, I guess that's when it, you know, sort of hit me that, boy, I got this far in life from where I had been, but what I, what would it have been had she not been mother tough, had she been mother, I don't give a damn or mother, I'm going to run off with this guy and you kids can be raised by some other distant relative. And that's happened to some people, you know, so, uh, so is I was, there a, is there a special toughness? A mother takes on, you know, and it sounds like she was basically abandoned by her husband, you know, having to take on both roles. I think so, yes, because, um, you know, she didn't have the resources to do too much for us. Um, somehow we did get, you know, you know, the music was in those days, of course, it was all vinyl. Uh, but somehow we did, I guess from my sisters, they would buy a record and that way I could get to listen to it too. Um, eventually I think I got a few of my own, um, but, uh, you know, there wasn't, I, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but I don't think I got to a dentist until I was 12 years old, you know, mm-hmm. and now I know kids, you know, they go every six months from, you know, the time they're toddlers practically. Um, but we just didn't have the money for those kind of things. And, you know, 
uh, maybe I saw a doctor once when I was growing up. I don't know, you know. Uh, now I've got too many doctors. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. You know, this seems to have given you a good work ethic and you were very ambitious. And it seems like a lot of people, you know, their reward after, you know, a successful career, they want to relax and play golf and take trips. It seems like uh, that's not you, though, is it? No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, I do act like activities. I mean, I, uh, I I lift weights. So I like to go to the gym about three times a week. I do Pilates about three times a month. And take like to take walks with my wife and so forth. I'm active that way, and I and I do like to do some travel. Uh, haven't done any for a while, but hope to get back to it. But uh, um, but you need a project in your life. Yeah, I do. I do. I absolutely do. And I just I've got. You know, there's an old saying about don't die with all your music in you. And that, you know, I, I, I'm just not going to let that happen. I just, um, you know, I've got 35. I'm working on a few more new ones. And I'm I'm just going to keep going as long as I can go. And uh, and when I get a chance to perform and and um, before the show's over, I would like to mention I will be performing at the Arts Garage in Delway, Beach, Florida on Tuesday, November 14th at eight o'clock. Uh, and anytime I get a chance like that, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I love being up there. I love the reaction of the audience, which at least so far has been <laughs> positive. Uh, hope it stays that way, but whatever. Um, you know, some, I haven't done all my more controversial, challenging things so much in public yet. So we'll see, but I'm going to do that. Um, Nice. But, um, uh, when you, know, you perform when you perform live, do you always do that with music, or sometimes is it just your voice? Um, it it varies. Uh, I did a little short one uh, uh, called "Have Respect" on Valentine's Day, uh, which was about having respect for women. I did that. I, that I played the. I'm not a great musician. You know, there wasn't any money for you know, growing up for lessons or anything like that. But I do strum a a ukulele now and i'm thinking about graduating to guitar too but we'll, i haven't made that decision but i'm thinking about that but uh you know i did have uh so that's what i did with that one but sometimes i just do uh, acapella uh or i may have some background music going um like i think uh, when i did renaissance man which is pretty autobiographical uh, i think i did have um some background music, and uh, so it varies. Um, well, I'm interested in how you combine music with the spoken word. Does the word come first, then you compose some new music? Do you take existing music and then set words to it? Like, what's your process there? Okay, the process is, uh, it's really always the same. I always have in mind the lyrics, so that I'm really first and foremost, a lyricist. Um, and so that gets written first. Um, often it starts with just some little idea and something jotted down. I may, I may flesh it out more later that same day. I may, I may get back to it a week later, a month later, whatever. But eventually I finalize the lyrics. 
And then I try to find something that goes with that. And um, since I, as I say, right now, my, um, I'm, I am a lifelong learner, so I still have hopes of getting better. But right now, all I really, I can, you know, I strum a ukulele a little bit. Um, but, and that's on, I think, I don't know if I released, I don't think I've released the ones that are just, that have that. But mainly, mainly what I do, it's, either acapella or I, uh, I use GarageBand, which has, you know, a lot of already copyright free instrumentals. And I, I'll put them together in some way, shape or form and see how it sounds. Oh, so when you perform live, then do you bring that as a, a backing music yeah. tape? I take my, I take my uh, MacBook pro laptop and, uh, there's uh, the MC there is a very fine fellow goes by the name of Saxy Soul, great saxophone player, and he uh, you know, he showed me early on how to connect it so it goes to the sound system. So I have that playing in the background um, when I when it's that type of one. Um, and, and what do you like to call your work? Do you think of them as songs? Do you think of them as poems? Because you're you're kind of you ride this fine line. Like, what what would you prefer people refer to your work as? I like songs. Mm -hmm. um, now I know people say, "Well, it's, it sounds like a poem," but yeah, you know, what are song lyrics? I mean, whether it's the Beatles or uh, Bob Dylan, uh, you know, they're poems or the lyrics and it becomes a song if you put some kind of a music to it um i'm not the best at that of course but uh, uh i wouldn't i'm always looking for a collaborator haven't really found one that's you know it really in sync um with me to the at this stage mm -hmm. so um yeah i would i think their songs um well, it seemed like when you're performing live, some young musician will see you there in the crowd. And like, do you ever get approached afterward and say, hey, I like what you're doing. Let, let's collaborate. I have gotten approached, not quite in that way. I've gotten approached with um, people you know, interested. How did you do that? What's your process? How I want to write songs. You know, I've had that kind of thing from, um, you know, much younger people. Uh, uh, upon occasion uh haven't anybody really maybe because they think it's already i'd like to think it's because they think it's already pretty good and there's not much well when you appear at these do you kind of stick out like are there maybe not as many people quite like you there yes i stick out to some extent because uh first of all i'm older than most of the people around also, I have very long hair, um, and I, you know, my voice is, you know, rather distinctive, and sometimes my subject matter is, you know, kind of just dis distinctive compared to others. So, uh, so yeah. are you ba are you basically still a hippie at heart? A hippie at heart? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think to some extent. Uh, to some extent, I think I've, 
matured a bit beyond it. But um, so, I think, what were you doing in the summer of 1967? You sure you don't mean the summer of '69? <laughs> well, that too. That was a popular one. But I'm thinking the summer of love, 1967. Oh, okay, okay, I got you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I uh, let's see. That's interesting. I think I, don't I think I was just graduating from college. Uh, give me a moment here. Uh, yeah, that's about the right age. Maybe hanging out at Eight Ashbury Park. Well, I wasn't. I'm all, I, mean, I wasn't. You know, I was a Southern Midwestern boy, and now pretty much an East Coast guy. Though I've been to the West Coast a lot. Uh, and I, I did on the old hippies that I mentioned earlier. And since you mentioned the Bay, I'll just say one of the briefly, one of the, uh, lines in the song old hippies is, uh, back in the day and by the Bay, it was quite okay to allay your cares by ignoring the squares and partake of LSD or weed. If we were tired and had a lot to do, the choice was speed. So that was uh, <laughs> that's probably something that I was doing back in in '67. I was also going to school and uh, somehow doing pretty well. Um, I bet you were, you know, reading all the beat poets. Oh yeah. Um, like who who was the one that influenced the most? Well, I think Alan Greens, uh, uh, Greens uh, Ginsburg, rather. Uh, Alan, I don't want to confuse him with the other guy. Uh, Ginsburg would certainly be one at the top. And then there was a guy who did a, I'm trying to think of his name. Crane was his name. The uh, Desideratum, uh, which, you know, basically kind of, a, I don't know, sort of a love kind of a thing. I'm a little vague on that right now, but uh, yeah. And then I, you know, but there's a lot of the more traditional po poetry I like a lot as well. Um, you know, the... Um, oh, were, you, were you thinking of Rod McEwen? I wasn't thinking of him, but that could that could be another one. And then, of course, to me, the big poet, at that time was was Bob Dylan, <laughs> although yeah. we most people just think of him as a singer. Uh, but really, he was, you know, writing all his stuff. And um, he's, you know, he's certainly somebody that inspired me. Um, I'm at, uh, as I said, I'm at 35 songs now and counting, which to me seems like a lot. But I think uh, Bob Dylan wrote like 500. So. Uh, and obviously not all of them are as great as all uh, some of them because, you know, people usually know, you know, maybe three, four, five, six songs they can name. Uh, but that's that's what you got to do. You got to write a lot and then you get some of the, you know, the uh, the gems come out. Do you think you'd ever like to publish a book of poetry? You know, my my wife has said that she said you ought to take all these things and put them together organize them and just put them out there as a little book. Uh, that's a project that's kind of like down the road for me, <laughs> like writing a memoirs down the road for me, because right now I'm just too excited about um, 
getting the the new songs out, writing them down, recording them, and then getting them. Like I just recently put one called Jim Rat Jerk on SoundCloud, uh, which I'll, which may never be a music video, uh, but you know it's for anyone who's ever been a gym member, I think they're going to relate to that song, Jim Rat Jerk, and. Um, and I just recently turned uh, one called One Last Shot into a music video. That's now on YouTube. And I get so I, I get excited about right. That's I'm most excited when I'm actually writing them and then the recording and then, of course, the putting them forward. Um, so I haven't I have other, you know, there are a lot of things on my you know, I can think I would like to do that are creative and I probably should do. Uh, you know, someday, but I just, right now I'm in a period where I just, I just want to keep getting the songs out and when I get a chance, you know, perform live, uh, some of them and you got to be a little bit, you know, it's hard to say what the audience is exactly going to be like at, you know, different venues. Um, and you know, sometimes they like something a lot and, Usually I've been lucky that way, but you know, you never know. You might. <laughs> you know. So when you uh, create a new piece, do you right away uh, perform it for your wife? Not always right away. Um, is, she, is she a good, a good uh, person to bounce ideas off of? Oh, she's a very good person to bounce ideas off of. Because she's uh, somewhat creative herself, not in the same kind of way, but um, she's also a PhD and she's written some stuff and working on some new stuff. Um, but yeah, she is, and she will help me sometimes. Well, like with Jim Rat Jerk, she said, That's great. And then I said, And now I got to figure out how I'm going to turn it into a music video. And she said, You don't need a music video for that one. The lyrics just say it all. And you're, anyone who's been a gym member and had these clowns or jerks, hog machines, they're going to relate to it and they're, they're going to understand it. You don't need to put, you know, have the bodybuilder sitting there staring down at his phone. They understand it, it, it. The lyrics are so clear. You don't really need given everything else that I'm doing and other things I want to turn to music, you don't need to turn that one in. Or she'll tell me, uh, like I've, I've got one that's kind of in the works called uh, Remember What the Rabbi Said. And she said, oh, that's all very good. But that section there, you got to change that. You don't need that. She's right about that. So, yeah, she's very good at, uh, at bouncing, bouncing these things off. Of I've seen on your YouTube channel, a couple of live performances of yours, but in your music videos, I don't see you in them. Do, do you want to perform in any of those? Uh, I'm starting to think, you know, I was a little, I don't know, shy, cautious at first about it, but I think I do. The uh, And by the way, I just, on the live ones, at least the ones I'm thinking of, you know, the reason I was holding the, the uh, sheet in my hand, which isn't you know terribly professional looking, is I had just written it. <laughs> I just written it uh -huh. on stage, so I, I didn't have it all memorized. 
you know, usually I can, me- I remember, I have a pretty good memory, you know, memorize the stuff, but this was all brand new. So I thought, you know, I, I got to get it. I, so that's why I was looking down at the, at the, uh, the sheets in my hand. But, um, yeah, I think one, is that the one where there's like some music equipment on stage? I saw a lot of stands and different things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and it, it started, it was supposed to start. It didn't. And so I started the lyrics. Then it started. So uh, I think that was probably Renaissance Man. Uh, well, that's where you, you're paying your dues because live stage, anything can happen. And sometimes your stage could be, you know, the band after they left the stage and their equipment's still there. I mean, have you learned that you got to be very flexible when you perform live? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, uh, you know, you have to come up with. Sometimes you ad lib a line to, you know, just to the audience to kind of like, I don't know, kind of like be friendly or, or you know, you know, just things happen. And uh, well, isn't that the hardest thing? Like, say, you know, they, they squeeze you in between bands or something. Right. And the minute the band's done and you come up, oh, everyone thinks oh, it's time to take a break. So they get out of their seats, go get a drink or, you know, go out to smoke. Right. Suddenly, all your audience is gone. I mean, it's little things like that performers don't realize until they go through that. Yeah, that that is so true. So true. Um, I mean, have you ever had to perform into a very uh, sparse audience? I haven't had not had bad luck with that, with one exception where I was performing, the audience was, it was a different demographic, because this seemed different than um, than what I had been used to. And I had already planned to perform this song, Humanhood, which from what I've looked up in dictionary, may be a term that I have invented, humanhood. And it's all about, you know, celebrating our common humanhood instead of being so deep into tribalism um and i did it but i realized wow these people sitting around here in the early rows they're not getting this at all because they're i don't know i shouldn't judge i guess but they seem like very shallow people who maybe you know don't didn't relate to the song at all but there were some other people you know a little further back who did seem to like it they got a pretty good applause Anyhow, but um, um, yeah, so I, th- that's the only thing that I can think of like that where um, um, yeah, I can't think of anything else where it was a little bit off like that. Well, not, not all venues can be the purple onion. <laughs> right. Which for, for those not in the know wasn't that basically the that little club that all the beat poets performed at right back in the day it was in the village i think um um yeah let's see the purple and oh no was that the one in um san francisco oh i think that's the one where like the jack kerouac and the allen ginsburgs hung out yeah that's you know, that's somebody I was, I was trying to think of Jack, Jack Kerouac was a big influence. Um, not so much in the poetry, but, um, 
you mentioned am I still a hippie and well maybe to some extent but you know before I was a hippie I was a beatnik and that was mainly because I read on the road um, by uh, Jack Kerouac um, it, it was a favorite book of uh, the guy who actually got me from got me into college uh, or was a big factor in that um, and uh, he loved that book, and he had hitchhiked from our uh, small city in the southern Midwest to to L.A., and then came back, and that's when I met him. And then uh, I read the book and uh, reread it since, and it's uh, I think it's still a pretty good piece of literature. Uh, and when you when you perform for people, instead of clapping, would you prefer that they snap their fingers? <laughs> I I would prefer no that they 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 applaud vigorously they stand up and they chant Gari 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 that's what I'd prefer. <laughs> you you have all the makings of a cult leader. <laughs> uh, well, I'll I'll try to take that as a compliment. I'm not <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> well, before we wrap up with a few more questions, uh, let's make doubly sure everyone knows where to find you online. Oh, okay. Uh, well, there's the website, which is youenjoynow.com. Uh, That's just, you know, the three English words, youenjoynow.com. Uh, you can get to my YouTube channel from there, or you could, you know, put Gary with two E's, Gary all, and you'd, you'd get there as well. Instagram is my best social media. Um, and you can also get to there from the website. If you, if you want a little more detail, not terribly long, but if you're on Instagram and you see the photo of the black haired teenager in a bodybuilding pose, you click on that. It'll give you part one of, um, sort of, part of my story at least. And, and then, uh, for part two, there's the only photo of me online where I'm wearing a tie and I'll give you part two. Uh, I'm on Spotify, not with a whole lot of songs. I don't know, there may be five or six on Spotify. I'm on SoundCloud also as well with a lot of the audios. Um, and then I would like to mention that, uh, as I did before that on Tuesday, November 14th at eight o'clock, I'll be at the arts garage and Delray Beach, Florida. And if anybody contacts me uh, through the website, let me know they listen to this podcast. And if you're going to be anywhere in that area in South Florida and you come by, I will promise that uh, come to me afterwards after the show and I will gift you a free T-shirt and maybe we can go have a nightcap together. I like that. Well, Besides being a university professor, you also had a career as a computer programmer and IT manager. And I'm sure a lot's, you know, happened. Uh, it's really accelerating, you know, since since then. And especially in the arts, you know, what, what do you think about all this AI and especially how it relates to music and creating art? Yeah, this is shows how technology, as you don't, it's like I thought back when I was teaching this stuff in um, 
well, to some extent in the, the very late 90s and certainly the early part of the 21st century, I thought then things were accelerating fast. But now, and I think like one of your recent guests, Elias uh, uh, Wayne, I think it was, saying how fast things are accelerating in, in the world and particularly in technology. And um, I agree with that. The AI, um, I... Um, I I know a lot of people are worried. I don't really think it's I think it's going to make some things easier to get done. I don't know that it's going to really um you know, I I don't I think if anything people are going to be more eager to hear a real human being write a song, sing a song, rap a song, spoken word a song uh than something from a machine. Though I, I've had very little experience with it. I don't, I'm not an expert on it. I, uh, the few times I've looked at it, it's been when I, I know what I want to do, but I like a little help and just nudging me. And then I put something in, and this is based on like two or three times, there's not much of data here, but then it would come back and I find that it would help a little but like 80, 90% of what it, it, I didn't want any part of. I took that little bit of it and then I did and do my own thing, which, you know, I probably would have done anyhow, but maybe, maybe a little bit faster because I used AI. So it's hard to say at this stage whether it's a blessing or a curse. And of course, I hope it's a blessing. I, I kind of lean that way. Um, and, you know, I don't know, but I, I think there's if, if people go too far with it, uh, I think, you know, the, have it do stuff for them. Then I think it becomes artificial. And I think the human connection and the authenticity of a person um, is it, just much more important for, you know, engaging with fans or anybody than, you know, something, you know, I, I just think it's a, a, a bad idea to make that the basis of one's creativity. I don't think it's creativity if you're using AI to a large extent. Now, if you're using it to kind of nudge you, to kind of push you, to get you started or something like that, I think that's fine. Um, but I like to write my own stuff, put it that way. <laughs> See, when we're done here, I could go to chat GPT and type in a prompt that says, in the style of Garial, you know, write me a spoken word piece about being stuck in the mud at Burning Man. <laughs> yeah, you could. I don't know what you'd get, but you'd, you'd, you'd certainly give it a try. <laughs> so besides, um, this is maybe another reason why I think you, you have guru in your future. Your website is you enjoy now. That's another thing that sounds so very 60s, kind of like a, you know, like Ram Dass or, you know, one of these big counterculture thinkers. Right. Right. Well, where, I, did, where did you come up with that? You enjoy now, or who's that other guy? Like the power of now. Uh, the now. 
Matt, is it, there's a writer, Eckhart Tolle. That's not who you're thinking that's, of. That's the one I'm thinking of, oh, yes. Okay, yeah. The, pow- oh, the power of now, yeah. Um, I came up with it because a couple of reasons. It's that website, of course, is mainly about the music. There's, there's some professional reviews. Obviously, you can link to music videos, not all of them, but some of them on there. Also, the SoundCloud, if you scroll down, the SoundCloud songs appear. Um, there's, But I also love quotations, and I put on some quotations on there. Uh, not my own, but I do have one of my own somewhere, but uh, mainly uh, others that I like. I'm going to do more of that. And I, and if people would write me and let me know what poems they would like me to uh, record, I'm you know, thinking about that, too. Um, and so that's to enjoy now these things. Um, I have I actually have a sleep aid on there called Pleasant Dreams to enjoy now. Um, but also I think there's been too much, I guess maybe in my life and I see it in others, there's a certain virtue to delaying gratification to, you know, work at something, get something done. But I think, you know, I don't think any of us are going to be here forever. So there's something about just enjoy the now enjoy, you know, I guess people call it mindfulness or whatever, but, um, just enjoy being here, you know, whether you're in the heart of New York City as I am now or whether you're out in the country someplace or wherever. Try to just enjoy. You're alive, for God's sakes. Enjoy it. And uh, don't, you know, don't take life too seriously because, you know, as they say, you're not going to get out alive anyhow. So, uh, And is that one of the keys to a lively longevity absolutely i think so you've got to you know deal with the stress by just not taking it all too seriously and there's other ways to deal with stress obviously and i've been an off and on meditator for quite a while i'm in a bad period now but i'm planning to get back uh, signing up for something i think here soon and um uh there's other ways to deal with it, but that's certainly one of the keys to a lively longevity. Absolutely. Which was a plug for your book, Keys <laughs> to a Lively Longevity. Thank you for that. <laughs> See, you, you are a Renaissance man. It's, you know, uh, health and uh, philosophical advice, poetry, spoken word, uh, sleep help. You know, do, do you consider yourself a renaissance man? Well, I did write that song. Um, yes, I would say that's that's true. If you look at those lyrics, uh, unfortunately, the beginning of it got uh, got knocked out by the sound uh, equipment malfunction there. But uh, um, that's it. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I probably shouldn't go into this, but my family, they would have me, uh, I'm like five or six years old, walk a long block up to the tavern by myself. You think kids would do this today? And what did they send me up for? Because the, you know, the guys were, they wanted to just like keep drinking. So they'd send me up there with an p- empty pail. The bartenders all knew me. Oh, here he is. And I'd give them the money and they'd fill the pail and then I'd walk back home. But of course, as both me and my sister would say, we 
had a few sips along the way. I like that. Oh, that should be the name of your next book. A few sips along the way. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> well, I want to give you the last word here. And, you know, I'm seeing a bigger picture now the more I talk to you. You know, it seems like your spoken word is just part of a continuum, you know, of a lot of thoughts, you know, you have in philosophy. It seems like you're, you know, also a natural storyteller, you know, you know, in a nutshell, um, you know, what is the main thing you want to express? Oh, the main thing I want to express? Ooh, you mean through all these songs or? Yeah, through the songs, through your writing, through just showing up and talking to people. Do you think there's like an overall theme to Gabri All? I think there, there's, there could be a few. Um, I think one would be the importance of freedom, um, freedom to choose, you know, one's own way. Um, but also at the same time, I think the, um, this whole idea of humanhood that we need to celebrate our common humanity. Uh, yes, it's great to have brotherhood and, and sisterhood, but you know, what about humanhood? We, we, we all, we all have, we all came from, well, from a mother, right? Mother tough. We all came from some mother and a father. Uh, we all have to eat and I think most everybody has to sleep and so forth. And, and we're all going to die. I think we should focus more on trying to just, you know, get along, start off by, uh, by feeling good towards another person. Don't assume bad things just because they look different or they're a different height or a different weight or uh, a different color or a different religion. Just be more accepting of people. Uh, appreciate freedom because when it's lost, damn hard to get it back. All history shows that. It's hard to get to it in the first place as we have in this country and a lot of other countries, but you want to keep it. Um, so I would think that that's, you know, kind of that libertarian theme I think is in there. Um, and, um, I'm sure there's others, you know, I, there is the divided self. And so there is some different, different themes may run through different songs, but, uh, those are the ones that are the most important to me that, that we all appreciate our humanity, look out for one another. Uh, and of course that has to start by taking care of yourself. Cause if you're, if you're real sloppy about your own life, your own health, you're careless, whatever, it's hard to really help anybody else. So you're going to take care of yourself, of course, first and your family. Um, and then you, to the extent you can, you help in your community and uh, try to live that good life and keep fighting the good fight. And do you, feel an urgency to get more thoughts down on paper and, you know, work towards leaving a legacy. Well, yes, I think to some extent that's true. And I think my, my song, which just very, very recently came out as a music video on YouTube called, uh, one last shot. 
has a lot of that in it. It's uh, pretty short. I think it runs about two minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, but it, it's got a lot of that in there that uh, the urgency of getting things out and, um, you know, that's there. Um, and, you know, it's as I think one of your recent guests was saying, it's kind of unusual times that we're living in. And uh, hopefully we'll just as a country and as a world, we uh, you know start. We'll hopefully before too long move to a somewhat better place and stop all this. I mean, how goddamn senseless is war? I mean, damn ridiculous. Fellow human beings shooting at one another. You know, it's ridiculous. I mean, I just it's, it's crazy that these things happen that people think that they want power so much that uh, it goes going around killing people. I think it's just I don't know. We 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 need a lot more sense. A lot more common sense, a lot more love, I think, than we've had recently. Uh, so hopefully the world will move in that direction. I'm doing what little I can through my creative efforts. Um, and uh, hopefully I think with with people feeling helpless, like, oh, you know, this is beyond my control. Is that the government level? You know, I'm just one person. Do you think that by, you know, writing a single poem or putting out a spoken word piece, do you think that has the power to cut through and make a difference? I think it can. I definitely think it can. I think um, whether it's a song, a poem, a music video, you know, or and we all, I think we all know that certain movies in the past have had, uh, you know, some influence. Um and yeah, I, I think, you know, I think all, you know, I think every artist has um, things in them they want to get out. And if they can have a good impact, that's great. I will be, you know, to me, it, the, I, I, I enjoy the work and I want to do the work and I don't do it just to change somebody's mind or to, or to make money. Um, not that I'm against those. I'd be happy if more people appreciate freedom or if more people drive carefully as mother tough has a thing in there about don't be a crash dummy, you know, uh, slow down, drive carefully. If, if it has that impact on some people, I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, and, uh, you know, if I start, you know, eventually if I start performing on a bigger stage in a bigger stage, I'd be happy with that. Uh, and I won't deny that there's some ego in there. I, you know, I, that's just the way it is. I'm going to enjoy that. I'm going to enjoy the applause. I'll enjoy the money, be happy to take it. But that's all like secondary, deep secondary to just the creative process itself. And the, um, and the, hopefully that it can do, do some good, uh, that, you know, people will come to, whether it's drive more carefully or appreciate freedom more or take better care of themselves health-wise, whatever. That's all good. By, by the way, are you the only Gabri all in the world? As far as I know, um, here when I I discovered somewhere after 
this name was all about, that there was another Gari in the industry, but apparently not too famous, but he, there was no capitalization of the, of the last three letters, R-E-E, and no last name. So therefore I decided I didn't have to change it other than emphasizing the re part. Um, Why am I thinking, like at some point you took a pilgrimage to India and then, <laughs> then, and then came back with this name? Well, <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny because I, I have Indian friends I like, but I've never been to India. But um, the uh, you want me to tell you how they all got there? Uh, that's a I might be revealing because I'm, I'm not ready for that era of, of, of my life yet. But uh, if you got a minute, I'll tell you that. Sure. OK, well. The that last name is because I was thinking and I don't want to compete with you, Kelly, because you're doing a great job and I could never compete with you. But I was thinking about a podcast somewhere down the road. Since one of the continuing things in my life that I've heard, um, at least since adulthood, here and there and all kind of odd places was, boy, you have a great voice. You have a great speaking voice. You ought to be on the radio. Um, so and, and you do. You have an amazing voice. Thank you. Thank you. So I was thinking of a podcast. And so I think, well, what's what would I call if I had, I have, I don't have it yet. And I, and I may never, or I may in six months or a year or two years, who knows? Uh, but I was thinking of calling it the show about all. Oh, okay. I don't know if you get that reference, but do you remember the show about nothing? What was that? Seinfeld? <laughs> Seinfeld. That's right. That's Seinfeld. <laughs> so, <laughs> So it was kind of a a little tip of the hat to them, uh, but uh, so that was just a, an idea I had. I've never really followed through on it um, because I don't know. Well, of course, as you probably know, it's not that easy to get a podcast going and keep it going. Uh, so it takes a lot of work and time and and, and finding great guests. Yeah, you know, which is the fun part. But if, uh, if you had one, what kind of guests would you have on your show? Well, um, I would have certainly some musical guests uh, if I could get them. Uh, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll ignore all the big names because they're not going to come on early, right? But they may come on later. Um, but actually, there's a guy in New York City who's a very good music teacher, piano teacher, uh, Chris Swan is his name, uh, and he's got something he calls NYC Music Lessons or something. Uh, he's uh, he's from my part of the world originally, though he's now in Manhattan, where I'm sitting today. Um, and he would certainly be one I'd want to talk to. Um, and then uh, beyond that, I, I don't know. Maybe I'd have you on, Kelly. I'm a very difficult guest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm a sweetheart of a guest. Yeah. I'm too easy. Well, the other thing with your voice, though, you'd be a natural for audiobooks, you know, especially the classics. I could hear you like 
doing all of like Hemingway's books as an audio book. Ah, yeah. Yeah, can you kind of imagine that, or or even better, I could I could hear you reading the entire Bible. Wow, wow. Well, you know, I would say yes to that, except you know, Gregory Peck did that. And is that the definitive version, version I, for you? I would say that's the definitive version, unless James Earl Jones has done it. And I'm not sure. I'm not that much up on those things. But to me, that's one of the, probably the two greatest voices. I think of, uh, you know, other than my own, of course, would be uh, James Earl Jones and Sam Elliott. You know who he is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam Elliott, uh, beef, it's what's for dinner. <laughs> I think, he, did, did he do Kerr's Light as well? Was that Probably, of- and I think I heard this um, car local car dealership commercial the other day. And I swear that was Sam Elliott. And I thought, no, he's too big. But then I thought, maybe he does the National um, Automobile Company. And then for them, does individual for their like local dealerships. Do you think yeah. that might, might be the case? That could be. I mean, but don't yeah. you, my favorite though, you know, the beef. What do they have? Like the American Beef Council or something. And he promoted. Yeah. yeah. That, that was just the perfect fit. Yeah, <laughs> right. But for but for you, I think you know, especially like um, Old Testament. Like maybe you could just you know read the voice of God. <laughs> well, you know, on the on the website, the section on quotes, which is not complete yet, but I did start it. I think I started it with the wisdom quotes. Um, there are a there's a couple of Bible verses in there. Um. So people check that. I would love feedback, by the way, from anybody, any of your listeners, uh, you know, go to the website, use the contact form, email me, whatever. I just, and it doesn't all have, you know, I, of course, I love to hear positive feedback, favorable, you know, as most people would, but, you know, you have, you say, oh, you know, you did that okay, but I, you think you should change this, or I really didn't care for that. I'm happy for get any feedback. Uh, because, as I like to say, the largest room in the world is the room for improvement. Well, my only feedback is I would love to see you in the videos. Well, based upon the some advice from my manager, I have been I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I am thinking of doing like a weekly. What did I call it? One minute musings, you know, one minute messages, something like that. Something with one. I'm trying to keep it to one minute because, you know, this day and age, people have very short attention span. Oh, oh like the shorts that are so popular now, like Instagram <laughs> shorts and right. Facebook so, shorts. Right. Like that? right. Right. Okay. So no, like, that's very, very smart idea because those have gotten really popular. Yeah. I think it was like one minute messages for musing. Uh-huh. No, I'll do it in one minute or less, and then you can, if you want to, you can muse about it later in the day or at the same time, whatever. But you see, musing is the gateway drug to guruship. <laughs> That's a uh, very you're being You're being groomed to be a guru. Well, well, 
Maybe I'll become all things to all people. Who knows? <laughs> see, see, that's kind of like that 70s spiritual consciousness thing. It's these kind of the, these sayings that they're very provocative. They don't necessarily mean anything concrete, but they do get you thinking. Yeah. Is that is that part of the key is leave just a little bit unresolved? You know, was it Jimmy Durante used to say, always let him wanting more. Come out, be good, be great, but leave a little something so they'll come back again. Something like that. I think that's a what... <laughs> sort of hint that you have the answers to life, but never quite fully reveal them. <laughs> Well, I don't know. If I had them all, I would reveal. I, I, I'll be called the revealer. <laughs> See, I think someone just needs to create a podcast with advice on how to become a guru. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't you think, though, in our uh, YouTube and social media age when it's all about collecting followers, how many Instagram followers... You know, even the idea of being an influencer, that we are just creating a generation of miniature gurus. <laughs> I hadn't really thought of that, but uh, that could be where we're heading. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I think with what you're doing, I, 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 you're a demographic we need to see more of. You're the anti-Kardashian influencer. Mm. You're, you're, the, you're just, you give... You give an alternative to, you know, there's 90%, you know, uh, of, you know, very young people, you know, doing their thing with fashion and makeup and, you know, whatever. But don't you think we need to hear a lot more perspectives from, you know, people who are retired, people who have lived and have a lot more experience? Well, yeah, I think the, I mean, I'm definitely not what, the gatekeepers in the music industry are looking for. At least that's my perception that, uh, you know, demographically I'm pretty much the opposite. Uh, Cause they're, you know, they're probably, you know, looking for the next Justin Bieber or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm quite different from that. But I'm encouraged cause there is a growing number of YouTube channels that are, you know, people with a lot of life experience, you know, people who are, over 50, over 60, over 70, that and a lot of uh, the young generation is looking for some really good advice. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. I hope it becomes more true as we go along, because that would certainly be, uh, you know, would help me get my messages out. Um, and I think the world could, could use that. Um, you know, when I hear some of these people so young, so inexperienced, and they're giving advice on who you should vote for in a Senate election, you know, I kind of wonder, well, it's fine to say it, but do you really think that's going to have much of an impact? Or why, you know, why would people care when you really don't, you know, have that much of a background, you haven't lived that long, and you... And you're probably, you know, 50 times as wealthy as the average voter and you're 
one third their age of the average one. <laughs> it just seems ridiculous. But people will do that because they, you know, whatever, think they're so special because they've had early success. Uh, I'm well, when you've got when you've got a pampered young person complaining they don't have the up to the minute version of the iPhone, I think they need to hear a guy who, you know, didn't get hot water until he was eighteen. Huh, yeah, that would that, that might be good. Um, you know, maybe some reality checks for the new generation. Yeah, I I think so. Um, I mean, I and you know, in some ways, I wish I had started the creative journey a lot earlier. Well, I did kind of start early, but it was waylaid for decades. But uh, had gotten more into it earlier. But then you know, now. Uh, I think it's better to be a late bloomer on steroids, so to speak, or than to not bloom at all. So I'm gonna, I'm blooming now. I'm gonna keep blooming as long as I can, and hopefully, uh, some people will appreciate the uh, the results of that blooming. I like that. And and now for real, the very last thing, a chance to show for Mother Tough. Uh, just share one uh, simple moment when, when your mother got tough for you and uh, you know really stood up for you hmm boy it's hard to think of just one but let's see um oh well i might piss off part of the audience with this one let me put it this way um my mother okay i'll tell you what happened i um I think it was in the uh, somewhere along in the second grade, probably in the middle. I, you know, misbehaved in some way. What was I, seven years old? Okay, so I misbehaved. So the the teacher had me stay after school and write on the board. I think I was supposed to write a hundred times, two hundred. I don't remember. I will be a good boy. I will be a good boy. So I'm doing the Problem is, unlike I think in today's world, nobody at the school bothered to tell my mother that they were doing this. So I didn't come home and she knew about what time I'd come home. And so she showed up at the school. Where is he? Oh, he's in there writing. I will be a good boy. Well, I don't think she was real because, you know, she was respectful of authority. She was of that generation where you respected it. But I think she made it very clear. You know, first of all, don't keep him like this, certainly without telling me. Uh, and then related to that is later in the year when, when I, oh, oh, yeah. And then they flunked me in second grade, academically flunked me. You know, so what my mother did, she just moved me to another school. So. Since by that time I was eight years old, I was ready for third grade. They just, they didn't even ask. They just took me as a third grader. Didn't seem to do me any harm. Um, so she maneuvered me around like that. Now, and then later, a few years later, that original school came back to knocking on the door and saying, oh, we'd like your son to come back to our school. And my mother said, well... Hello, your school is more is too expensive. 
And then he said, oh, we've got scholarships. We really want I said, nope, he's not coming back to your school. So she stood up for me there. She didn't want me back in a school school that would keep me after school, you know, for some little infraction and not even tell, not even tell her. So she had to worry about, you know, was I kidnapped? Because the school was about, oh, two blocks, you know, with two, with a tavern on each side of the road. <laughs> Uh, so, and they want to they want to hold you back, and you end up getting a PhD. Yeah, that is crazy. Well, sounds like you had a great mom, and what a great tribute! And just you know, to repeat to everyone, been talking with Gary All about his great new song "Mother Tough" with a great video you can watch on YouTube. Hey, you you do have a voice, a great sounding voice, but a real voice and a message with so much stuff. Um, I think you can do anything you want. You know, it sounds like in retirement, you know, your life is just beginning. Yes. Thank you very much, Kelly. All right. I'll, I'll talk to you soon and I will be checking your social media and looking for those one minute uh, videos you're going to create. I think I'm going to do it mainly on Instagram. That's my main uh, social media, but uh, I guess I could, copy them over to other places but uh, yeah i'll probably put them on instagram hopefully next week i can get started okay gateway drug to guruness <laughs> uh, all right this has been a great pleasure kelly thank you this has been the rising star podcast with your host kelly hughes